Hello, and welcome back to a new episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Akshay Taylor, and today I'm joined by Ben Fitton. What's up? Um, who's, actually, who's technically back for a second time, but... Um, you just all don't know it yet. Yeah, I just uh, made mistakes with the audio for that one, so you're back again. Well, it was the first one, so, you know. So, um, right, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, I'm Ben, I'm currently unemployed, and hoping to change that fact. <laughs> Oh man, I need a job so bad. <laughs> my, the state of my bank account is actually the true horror of all of us. It really is. So I hope you're not claustrophobic today because um, today we're going to Utah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to clutch it with claustrophobic. <laughs> Alright, well today we're going to Utah uh, and talking about caving. Thing that I would never, ever, ever do. Same here. Like... Basically, a few weeks ago, it was Halloween, and I watched The Descent for the first time. It took it that long? I've been it for ages. It has been, but I'm a giant, big coward man. <laughs> Even I've seen it, and I'm scared of, um, you know... I'm, not, I'm claustrophobic, and I've seen that thing. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it was mostly because I, I didn't find people that would want to, want to watch it, and I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to watch it myself. That does sound pretty reasonable, to be fair. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a uh, fun one. So we get to talk about that for a bit. <sighs> the, the Descent or Utah? Utah. I know exactly which one you mean. I've read it before, and yeah, I did not enjoy that. Oh, we're going to get in depth, so um, enjoy that. I'm glad I have a drink now. Oh, I actually need to get one one second. I forgot about that. (laughs) Okay, so we're back. And, um, actually, now is a drink. Yeah, it's great. I got a little chalice of wine. <laughs> I'm actually disgusted. Yet also so jealous at the same time. I know it's great. It's very hard to convey both emotions at once. Like um, it holds a fair amount. But yeah. So, uh, do you want to say a bit about what you're going to talk about, real quick? I'm talking about the gruesome deaths of history. Um, so we're talking about Rasputin um, and how the man just refused to die. Crassus and you know the infamous um, melted gold. And also the red-hot poker of Edward II of England. Perfect. Um, right, so, anyway, do you want to kick us off or should I? It's up to you. I'm happy to kick off if you want. Awesome. Whatever you're comfortable with. Okay. So, we start in the uh, 14th century. Edward II is the king of England. He's just been married to Isabella of France, who is now his wife. Oh, and just for a, as a side note, it's um, theorised that Edward II was in fact gay for... Um, a man called Gaveston, since they were exceptionally good friends, shall we say. It's never been proved whether or not he was actually gay, but there's always been questions around their relationship, shall we say. But anyway, that aside, his wife um, eventually grew to hate him because he refused to touch her, except for when they made the um, child for the first time. But after that, he generally shunned her bed. And she eventually um, took up with his rivals in the form of Roger Mortimer who was a um, rival to the King of England, and they wanted to place Isabel's son on the throne, since she would essentially have more control over him. And so Edward II got deposed by his wife and um, her lover, Richard M- Roger Mortimer. And here it gets interesting, because he was unkept in Carnarvon Castle, and he died very mysteriously um, one night. Even though he was only about 40 years old, he was in relatively good health. So, was, so many people saw it as very politically um, strange that he suddenly just up and died. But the theory goes is that um, his wife and Roger Mortimer, to kill him, they inserted a red-hot poker up his anus, and they just re-rogered him with it, is, uh, goes the theory, because that way they could prove that um, there was no mark on his body, 
rather there were several marks on the side of his body, and it was also seen as a slight against the fact that um, it's implied that he was gay for, and had a uh, gay relationship with um, Roger Mortimer, so it was seen as um, her revenge against him for that. Well, wine was a good decision. <laughs> wine was a good decision. <laughs> I, I, can, I can only assume I'm only going to get better from there, right? And he got it quite good compared to the rest. Oh yeah, this should be fun. This, uh... <laughs> oh god, it's well fun yeah. enough. Oh, One way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's... Um... That was um, definitely something. So I guess we're going back to Utah. Okay. Um, yeah, sure. Unless you want, do you want to do a few, or do you want to just go with the beginning and the end? Yeah, beginning Okay, beginning end works. Uh, I, I, like anyone listening from Utah, which I did realize that I that we do have a few listens from America. Oh really? Yeah, about like about thirty five about thirty five of our listens were are apparently from the US. Oh, that's actually really cool. Yeah, apparently we've got no, uh, we got some, we got a few random ones like uh, we got three from Japan. How many followers do you have now? Um, I think we were, last I last I checked we were we were at about fifty something on Twitter and a solid sixty nine on Facebook. It's actually pretty solid, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was so um, yeah, I was quite hyped with that. <laughs> no, that sounds pretty reasonable to me. Anyway, let's get claustrophobic, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> right, so, um, well, you already know what caving is, but I'll go into a bit of the basics anyway, just so go on. just so we get the fundamentals. So, uh, caving, which is also known as splunking or potholing, is basically the pastime of exploring wild cave systems, uh, which may or may not have been previously uh, mapped before. Yeah, the challenges can uh, vary according to the cave, of course, and... There's a lot of uh, different challenges, including the absence of light beyond the entrance, um, and in a lot of times there's negotiation of uh, steep of steep passageways, uh, squeezes which are re- which are really thin, <sighs> and how to get through. And uh, Don't say that I know. And um, it's not my day. <laughs> wa- no, it's not. So um, and water hazards are also a big thing. So flooding, mostly. Um, like you, it's got a bit. It's got bits and pieces where it shares other sports activities, um, but for a lot of people, it goes beyond sports. Um, people can do it. People sometimes do it for pursue, to pursue cave science, mapping, photography, and the conservation of cave environments, stuff like that. A so lot of thrill seeking as well. Yeah. I also believe. Yes. Why I never know. It's yeah, thrill streak seeking is definitely one of the big ones. I also have no idea why you'd ever cave. Walking inside, like you know, a cave I can stand up in. There's no tight squeezes. And it's kind of like one in France where they found those, um, you know, like foot, foot, footprints from the um, early um, Homo sapiens. Fine, fine with that. And all the cave paintings, that's lovely. But I don't want to go squeezing through holes. But yeah, like if you do, ca- uh, if you do cave, fair enough. You won't see me anywhere near it. But yeah, so uh, got a, f- a few more risks include like hypothermia, falling, falling rocks. Uh, and physical exertion, uh, exhaustion even, and um, it's not too out there for people to hallucinate in dark, in like if they get trapped in the dark for long enough. Ugh, don't say that. Um, and re- rescuing people is pretty difficult and time-consuming, and because uh, full-scale cave rescues often involve the efforts of dozens of rescue workers, and who will be put in, who could be put in danger themselves, and a lot of the time the actual medical professionals won't have the skills, so they have to like hire spe- specialists to. Uh, help out with the rescue and there's other bits and pieces like um yeah like in the uk dr- uh, most caving deaths are from drowning uh, which are over half mm. um uh, don't Good worry way to go yeah i assure you the little the case study i'll be talking about is much less pleasant oh yay <laughs> but before you get into uh where we 
where we're going to. Um, I pi- I've picked out a couple quotes I found on Reddit uh, from people who may ha- who have experience or experience or know people that have it, and these will get you in a, a mindset. This is just horror for me. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm torturing you a little bit. You know, for anybody else who's got claustrophobia, but you can always just turn off. I do not have that option right now. <laughs> oh man, that's why we got a drink, right? Yep. <laughs> Okay, right. So this one's from a user called um, Flip0309. What a guy. Yep. And he he says, I went on a cave tour once, and our tour guide said he's been through holes so small that the only way to make it through was to exhale and hope you made it through before you ran out of air. And then there's another one by uh, a user called Tans, so T-A-H-N-S. And it says... um, I was in a cave once, and my friend saw a really tight hole and wanted to check it out. It was a dead end to a little room, but on, on the way out again, uh, he had to put one arm above his head and one arm sticking behind him. If he didn't angle his head, his shoulders like that, and both arms either in front or behind him, he couldn't fit through. That is disgusting. Both of those quotes. I mean, you'd, you'd... No, actually, no, I would not do it all for all of King Marcus's silver, either of those, those things. I wouldn't do it. I'd agree. I'd sooner um, look like a pauper. Right. So uh, we so we're going to go to U- to west of Lake Utah, in Utah, in the U.S. And we're going to go into a cave called Nutty Putty Cave. What dickhead came up with that? I have no idea, but um, well, I'm sure a lot of people will know the story. I know a lot of my friends do, including you. Yeah, I know the story. Yeah. So yeah, let's get into it, shall we? Get a bit of the background of the, of the cave in first before we get into the actual the accident in particular I'm going to talk about, which you know already. Yeah, I know it. Yeah. Right. So um, basically, um, originally it was explored in 1960, where nearby ranchers uh, discovered it a little a small pit on top of a nearby hill, uh, which had housed several snakes, and it it hadn't been entered yet. And basically, called um, a guy called Dale Green who then went to explore it. And basically, to get into it, it was a short down climb and a tight belly crawl before the cave opened up into a gradually, into a gradually sloping downward passage. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, there, are, there have been other incidents here. I'm only going to say a couple before we actually get into it. In 1999, two teenagers called Chris Hale and Chris Marrow found themselves trapped in a section of the cave known as the Birth Canal, which is about 120 feet underground, with no way, and they were, had no way to move forwards or backwards. Utah County Lieutenant uh, Ron Fernstead uh, basically said they got partway in and got stuck. They were too big for the area. They were trying to crawl, crawl through. It's tight, and it's an area where you have to suck your stomach in to get through. They were rescued after about 12 hours of being wedged in the passage with the help of about 40 people. I'm really glad I misspent my youth instead of actually, um, you know going out and doing caving or anything physical like that. I'm really glad now, because, no, fuck that noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and between 2001 and 2003, an additional four people got trapped in the cave, with two of them as young as 13 years old. Who the fuck takes a 13-year-old caving? Like, who? Who? I, mean, I can see caving, but why would why there? Like, if it, if it has bits with um, where you have to suck in your stomach to get through, oh, God, Why? I'm one of those people where my firm belief is I want to stay on the surface, on the ground, with plenty of room around me. I don't think that's too much to ask. No. Not at all. Okay, and um, then 
in 2006, there was an effort put forth to um, basically severely limit the number of visitors out in the cave because at its peak, after it became really popular, it was receiving over 5,000 visitors a year. Yeah. Um, with many visitors often entering the cave late, late at night and failing to take proper safety precautions. And uh, the cave's popularity has, has caused um, a lot of smoothing of the rock inside the cave. Yeah, basically, uh, it got to the point where it was predicted that a fatality would occur in one of the cave's more prominent features, which was called the Big Slide, which is a 45-degree room. So that's um, just where the rock's been, just been ground down to the point whereby, yeah, there's just nothing left for you to hang on to, so you just can't really make your way up, you can't make your way down, or... So essentially, you're sliding around on it, As really. far as I can tell, yeah. Um, and basically, um, in on May 24, 2006, a gate was installed, and the cave was temporarily closed until early 2009, where proper management was established and a application process was developed to ensure safety precautions are being met. And it was then opened again in May 18, 2009, uh, to the public. However, this didn't last very long, as after this is coming up to the instant I was, that I'm going to talk about uh, in a bit of detail. This one's that's going to kill me the most. Oh, yeah. Um, in November 24, 2009... Uh, John Edward Jones, who was 26, uh, became trapped in the cave. Um, he'd moved through... We're going to get a bit intimate here. Just a warning. Yay! Okay. He'd moved through the cave sections known as the Big Slide and the Birth Canal, which we mentioned before, and crawled headfirst into an unmapped narrow passage uh, where he became stuck upside down. Uh, Don't fucking say that shit to me. I did not even need to hear that. I know. Uh, it's getting it's, like there is a bit more. There's a bit more to it. I'm not gonna lie. It's mostly the upside down bit that really focuses me on this bit because if you just a face up, you know, the blood won't be rushing to your head, and you might be a little bit more comfortable, maybe. You know, yeah. despite the fact you're fucking trapped. And uh, basically, the crap he got stuck in, uh, it was about ten inches wide and eighteen high. This guy was about six foot, I think. <laughs> it's about the same height as me, and he was trying to. <laughs> I mean. Each their own, I guess. Like, some people are into it, I guess. But who knows? And uh, basically, um, with his the position he was in basically was causing fluid to pull dangerously towards his lungs and head. And the rescue effort that rushed to, that was rush, rushing to rescue him was was made up of about 137 people. It's quite impressive, to be fair. Yeah, but uh, only a few rest, uh, only a few of the party members could even could fit into the narrow tunnel. To get to him, they'd have to be able to squeeze into a space no bigger than the size of a washing machine opening. Oh, that's, that's disgusting. Um, it basically left uh, one rescuer chipping away at the rock with a ball peen hammer, which with only about six inches to swing. Uh, oh, that! How on earth can you even begin to swing a rock with six inches? You might just have like you know a file. It's basically, about enough to move your wrist, I guess. Not <laughs> like, even that, really. Yeah. It's just... There's a psychologist called uh, Ryan Shirts who uh, basically got sent down with him uh, about twelve hours after he got stuck. He got they got to him and. Basically, when he arrived, John was basically or already a bit kind of lo- losing it because he'd been there for for a while. I and, think I would as well. That's a long time. Yeah. I just went trapped in your dark and you know, like face down. Yeah. Um, basically, when he got a one of the quotes, uh, there's a few quotes here. Uh, he said, "Help get me out. I don't want to be on my head." Uh, Ryan replied, "Why are you on your head?" And John replied, "Why did you guys put me in here?" You didn't put them in here. You can't do them himself. Yeah, like he was, like he was kind of oh, lose, losing it. But uh, he basically went between being calm and just talking normally, like and uh, this kind of thing. Yeah. But um, Ryan basically helped calm John down using by talking about his family and stuff like that. Um, 
which no. did help a bit apparently. So uh, yeah, so he wasn't. So he had some talk to that was just at the like forum, but um, it only goes so far, of course. Yeah. <laughs> basically, saw... um, in in the meantime, the rescue attempt basically set up a series of pulleys to try and help to try and help get him out. Yeah. And uh, the main issue of getting of trying to pull him out was the shape of the tunnel, uh, because basically there was it had a low roof and basically it also had a lip on the edge ah. of it. And when they tried to pull him out, his his feet hit the low roof of the tunnel. And if they tried to maneuver him out by pulling by pulling backwards, it would it would have broken his legs. Mm. And uh, after after so long of being in the tunnel upside down, and the fluid pulling at his lungs and head, it the shock of that would likely killed him. And if it didn't, they still had to pull him. They they still <laughs> have to drag him about four hundred feet to the entrance. I'm not gonna lie, that's pretty grim. Never mind trying to get him to medical. Like, don't try, mind getting him get to a hospital system. afterwards. Yeah, yeah. We right. had practically like a field hospital set up outside to actually save him at that point. Yeah, it's, um, I'm not gonna lie. I frankly would sit there and say, "Just break my legs, just get me out." But yeah, like this is legitimately horrifying to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, basically, at, at one point, workers almost managed to free him, where they and. Like to the point where they they managed to get him a bit of food and water, um, but most most of them never saw more than his feet and ankles. Ryan, I believe, did like did see John like properly, and uh, huh. was basically the only person that John really saw in like in that time. Jesus Christ! Um, like really first at least the first person John saw in hours, like at least half a day in in there. Yeah, they went, but however, after doing that, like a bit of hope here, um, and then. Disaster strikes, and uh, yeah. So basically, uh, they uh, John they started pulling the rope, and John inching upwards, and um, there was a bit of hope there. Um, unfortunately, after this, for for Ryan, not so much John actually. Which kind of lucky if depending on how you look at it. But yeah, basically for Ryan, I I quote the world exploded in pain from this article. Uh. Um, and uh, Ryan basically had to get out um, before, and he blacked out. Mm. Uh, when he came to, blood was everywhere. His jaw felt broken, and his eye was eye was swelling. Yeah. Uh, and basically, basically, what had happened was uh, under the pressure of John's body and the crew pulling, the stone arch had shattered, and the Ooh. rope tied to it had broke tied around it had broken, sending a heavy metal carabiner straight at Ryan's face. And while John, the trap guy, uh, had slid back into the hole and landed on his head again. Yeah. Though he didn't seem that much worse than before. Uh, meanwhile, Ryan basically had his tongue nearly sliced in half. <laughs> like, um, yeah, that's pretty grim. Basically, I had to get him out. They did later on replace him with, an, with another um, psychologist person. I'm not surprised. I mean, like, you know, he was slapped in the face by heavy but, uh, at, his, at that point, uh, there wasn't... At that point, it, he'd been stuck in there for a long time. More than just a, um, you know, quick jaunt, I suppose. Yeah, like... Uh, that, like later on, John basically fallen silent and his breathing had slowed down. Yeah. Uh, while they while they waited while they were waiting for a drill to make a new pulley hole. Yeah. And basically, uh, they tried to wrap a rope around John's waist, but it was too tight to work the rope all the way around John. And basically, after, when they asked John to suck his stomach in, he didn't respond. And yeah. And then this other and the guy who was trying to do this also got stuck, and it took fifty. Ugh. It got to, took fifteen minutes to, for him to crawl out. Of the crack. Oh, that's that's, that's horrid. <laughs> so uh, they nearly, yeah, they nearly got two people stuck in there. 
and remember back down here it wasn't just dark and cold it 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 was damp and humid yeah and uh like just not pleasant whatsoever uh they tried to put the pulley in to into the hole but the hole was too small yeah and they managed like they managed to get a, put to drill another hole and push the pulley in but um it was pretty rough at this point yeah that like at this point john had not been responding for a while and uh, I, I'll quote here. Um, someone basically just one of the quotes is, "He's dying. He's dying right now. He has a heartbeat, but he's had difficulty breathing before I got there. You can't get down there before he die. Someone down there before he dies." Um, so pretty rough. Um, and uh, after, and generally, and basically, after being stuck for 20, 28 hours, Ooh. Upside down, finally succumbed to the conditions that and died. That really fuck with you, I'm not going to lie. That really would just... Oh, no. That's... It's absolutely horrifying. Uh, and and also, and rescuers basically concluded that it would be too dangerous to attempt to retrieve the body. I suppose that's because they keep adding to a body count and trying to pull them out, I suppose. Um, but... because base, yeah, because basically it was dangerous to even get there. But on top of this, they no longer had John helping them. And so yeah. John couldn't manoeuvre around like tight Obstacles, corners. yeah. You couldn't suck in or anything. Oh no! <laughs> and um, basically, uh, the landowner, the landowner, and Jones's family basically came to an agreement that the cave should be permanently closed with the body sealed inside. Oh no! That's just oh, still trapped upside down, and that's just wrong. <laughs> it's uh, really rough. I'm I'm going to link a article which goes more into um, Ryan, the psychologist. Um, it goes more into his perspective on things because it's yeah, it's pretty in depth, and I don't think I can really give it justice from just talking about it. But I, I've lifted bits and pieces from it, and it also goes into a bit about uh, the family and stuff like that as well. Yeah, and it's absolutely it's heartbreaking to read. Like it, like even says a bit about uh, the people who basically have to break the news to the family and stuff, and it's yeah. just like it is crushing. And I'll, so I'll definitely put it in the description. And there's also a diagram of uh, how he got stuck and a bit of the rescue effort, which, yeah. I'll, also, which I'll also try and find and link in here. Ugh. It's horrifying. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> absolutely horrifying. Uh, he left a... Uh, and basically afterwards, he, he'd left a pregnant wife and one ch- and a young child. That's fucking grim, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And... Yeah. Um, yeah, on that. How are you feeling, Ben? <laughs> kind of horrified of me. So am I. That's I'm... the kind of thing you use for like an execution method for like you know the sort of worst of the scum of society. Not, Ugh. no, no. That's just. I think it was just the twenty-eight hours that really focused on me. If I'm being honest. Yeah, I could not imagine. If it was like twenty-eight seconds, that would be too long. So twenty eight hours are just really screws me because so on. If it was twenty eight minutes, that would still be too long. Like, even twenty eight seconds would be too long. But twenty eight hours, it's just oh no I no. Could not imagine, like in such a like. Remember ten by eighteen inches, basically. I think that's worse than the guy for one hundred twenty seven hours. At least yeah. he kind of got out. Yeah. At least it well, most of them did. Yeah. I mean. At least he um, think think about it. in a, some, a space that that type he could like he couldn't move back and forward he could barely wriggle. God, imagine if he had an itch. There was no getting to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's not really inappropriate. That, but... It's fine. Well, there'll be no way to. Yeah. It's just 
you know, sort of things that go to your mind where it's like, what if you had a really itchy back? You know, yeah, I mean, for twenty eight hours. Yeah, it's a uh, real. It's really harrowing to read about, especially on that really annoying part of your back that you can't quite reach. <laughs> oh, Sorry, yeah. I, I'm I'm it's I'm fun. done now. I'm done. <laughs> Uh, sometimes you need to. Sometimes you don't think you can do as humor, right? <laughs> like, sometimes you just gotta laugh about it. Otherwise, what the hell's the point? Oh man, was how do you deal deal with it? Mm. <laughs> like, it's yeah, absolutely hor- horrifying. Well, we could always want to think a bit happier if you want. Well, relatively yeah. happier. Yeah, sure. Why don't um, we'll cut to intermission music a bit, and then uh, we'll sort bits and pieces out, and uh, we'll get back to it. Yeah, sounds good. And we're back. So, um, Ben, do you want to take it away? Okay, we're on some more horrible historic deaths, and I've got three more lined up for you. Perfect. Now, for the next one, has anybody ever heard of the Brazen Bull? Oh, man, this... Oh, yeah, yeah let's go for it. Okay, so the Brazen Bull was a um, bronze cast um, statue of a bull big enough for um, one person or several people to fit inside. And it was an execution method designed um, in the ancient times by a man called Perilous. The idea was you're put inside, and but the only way to breathe was for a for, was for a tube that um, got put on your face. So essentially, it was a early form of an, an oxygen mask. It was actually incredibly inventive how they did it. But then afterwards, they would um, light a fire un, un, underneath the bull. So um, yeah, you can imagine what that would be like. And obviously, the um, bronze would. Um, Obviously, conduct the heat, so you'd be getting consistently burnt through it. But the most insidious part of it was that the um, tube around your face also acted as a um, kind of an instrument that turned your screams into sounding like the bull, um, like, like a bull, like a from the bull. Yeah. That's... So essentially, you'd be screaming inside of it, and the people um, around it wouldn't even necessarily know. Rumor has it that several um, ancient rulers used to keep them, and they used to have them there at dinner parties. The bull um, would be slowly, you know, like would be consistently mooing, and the um, dinner guests would be amazed about um, how it was happening, oh, and they wouldn't know what it was. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> of course, they're not knowing that somebody was inside there, um, slowly being roasted by the bull inside the bull. Well, that's horrifying. I did not know that. Anyway, so we come to Perilous. So, I quite ironically, Perilous was actually the first person to be killed by the brazen bull, despite being its inventor, because he went to his emperor and he told him about his new, brand new invention and about, like, you know, how great it would be to sort of put people in there and torture them in there. And the Emperor was so sickened with him, it wasn't actually um, executing people that did it. It was the uh, making people's voices sound like the bull. That was actually the thing he got most turned off by. So he then put Perilous in there and did it to him. It's a a reasonable way to go about it, I guess. He Um, he literally tested the man's invention on himself. I suppose that's... um... Uh, I guess that's a reason not to put yourself in perilous situations. Uh, that was awful. That's really awful. <laughs> Shut up, I'm funny. <laughs> I'm not funny. Um, well, some people will say it wasn't even necessarily a um, execution method, even though of course obviously it could be one of the most horrific execution methods you can think of. Because as I, mean, I, I don't get that's worse than being burnt at the stake. Because being burnt at the stake would be horrendously painful, but at least it would be over within a relative few minutes. This way, you could be slowly burnt repeatedly for hours until you actually die. Mm-hmm. That's uh... 
well, some people also argue it was also maybe just a um, you know method of um, torture and wasn't necessarily an execution method. But it's still pretty shitty in one way or another. Oh yeah. Also, just side note: it's really impressive you're doing this without notes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, so on a brighter note, we get to um, Crassus. For any of you who don't know who Crassus was, um, a little bit of context for you. This is in the um, waning days of the Roman Republic, and there was a um, triumvirate set up after the. Um, I'm, Spartacus's, I'm sure some of you must know Spartacus's rebellion in the ancient Roman Republic. I'm sure you do. I know basics, not much. So, um, so after that, there were um, three main political leaders in um, uh, Rome at the time. One was one was um, Pompey. One was um, Caesar, the Julius Caesar. And the other one was Crassus, and the three of them set up a um, triumvirate between the, between the three of them to balance power between the three of them, since they were more especially worried about um, one of them attacking the other, and essentially it was a way to just keep peace within Rome, and essentially for all of them to keep making money as well, since Crassus is considered to have been the wealthiest man that ever lived, since he was responsible for tax farming in a lot of the Roman provinces. So the triumvirate was essentially just a way of making sure that there was a balance of power between the three of them, and that neither of the three could wipe out the others and take all the power for themselves. So that's the way it worked. And it worked quite successfully for several decades. So we get on to um, the fate of Crassus then. So um, Crassus um, decided to expand the Roman Empire um, further east into the um, Kingdom of the Parthians. The Parthians were an incredibly fierce people, and they were quite historically... um, Horse, um, a stronger race of um, horse archers. They didn't really believe in, like, you know, the Roman style of combat. They wouldn't um, send in infantry um, with plate and they wouldn't really fight hand to hand. They would just sit there and, you know, they'd shoot at you, they'd kill a few of your troops, they'd skirmish you, and the moment that your cavalry got close to them, they would start running away again. And this is their entire way of fighting for each other, was just um, slowly skirmishing you and um, defeating you. That's. Okay. So, uh, but Crassus tried to take them on with the um, Roman legions hand to hand, man to man. And there were some arguments saying that he probably could have worked um, defeating them in a stand up battle by simply um, using the heavy shields and the heavy armour to um, let them waste all the arrows and then march on the enemy. But he chose not to. He tried to keep running the, um, the horse archers down with his men. This is after he denied the um, king of, Kingdom of Armenia help, who had a lot of horse, horse archers of their own. He just believed he was just arrogant in his own um, accomplishments. Uh, arrogance, uh, yeah. my favourite of the historical features. So in the Battle of Carhai, he um, eventually got a, n- not to be mistaken, in the Battle of Cannae, by the way. Yep. He got him and his army got solidly wiped out. Um, they then got faced with a last ditch effort, and they tried to sue for peace, but in a um, mistaken moment where somebody grabbed the um, reins of Crassus' horse. They, um, the rest of his army got cut down. He was brought before the um, leader of the Parthians, who um, decided a quite fitting punishment for the um, wealthiest man in the world. And Parthian was also one of the um, richest um, places in the world at that point. Um, okay. Parthians is around the uh, modern-day Middle East, somewhere between... Um, most people attribute it somewhere around Saudi Arabia, in, into Iraq, but there's some... Um, Skepticism. It all depends what which state you're looking at it as well, yeah. since there's a lot of changing borders around this time. I mean, they weren't really exactly the, like perfect maps at the time. Well, so. well, the Romans were, but at the same time, we're also dealing with um, you know limited knowledge as well here. So, mm. you know, no one's perfect in this. So he was brought before them, and 
Um, for any of you who watched Game of Thrones and know the fate of um, Viserys and that, it's rather... Um, most people say that um, George R. R. Martin took his inspiration from the um, fate of Crassus, since a um, pot of gold was heated up across the fire, and he had his mouth um, held open by um, several of um, the Parthians, and then the gold was poured down his throat, since uh, it, was, it was said that um, the leader said to him, you know, like, like it, you, you came for gold, you came for greed, and now you can have it, as he pulled the molten gold down his throat. That's a strong line. That's a <laughs> great way to go. It's horrendous, but it's a strong line. <laughs> strong line, and also, could you imagine that gold pouring down your throat? I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, I've had hot tea before, but <laughs> I could not imagine that. I get burnt by, uh, you know, a strong cup of coffee, let alone, you know, molten gold. Mm-hmm. And, and, and after that, um, the... Um, Roman civil war erupted about four years afterwards when Caesar crossed the Rubicon since Crassus was no longer there to balance out the other two of them. So his death in many ways was a tragedy, but also he did kind of bring it on himself at the same time. Yeah, I mean, from the sounds of it, the tactics weren't exactly perfect either. Well, he was actually a very good commander, but... Well, the problem is that horse archers have always been very hard for um, any um, people to ever sit there and truly beat in the field. I mean, people tried against the Mongols and they couldn't defeat them, and it was only really with the invention of gunpowder and um, modern armaments that ever the horse archers really stopped being such a nuisance on the battlefield. Yeah. But uh, essentially, don't fuck with horse archers and you're fine. Don't fuck with horse archers, you heard it here. <laughs> I, I think I should call gospel truth that one. Which finally brings us on to the last um, nasty historical death, and this one's a lot more contemporary than the um, other ones that we've touched upon. We're on to the um, mad monk Rasputin. Perfect. Everyone knows Rasputin, I'm sure. I'm sure. I think everyone knows Rasputin, but for a little bit of um, background, he was the um, he was known as the Mad Monk in um, to a lot of um, Europeans and to a lot of Russians, and he was the favourite of um, the Tsarina and the Tsar um, Nicholas II for his um, supposed healing powers, since the um, the Tsarevich, I think it was called, the um, Tsar in Waiting. That's going to really annoy me. I should really know that one, but... Oh, well. I'll check if you want. No, no, that's fine. I'll, okay. I'll wait for people to call me out later. It's fine. That's perfect. Yep. So, and so the um, boy Alexia was a um, hemophiliac, and it was said that Rasputin could heal him of his hemophilia. So he was kept round by the um, royal couple, which not, wouldn't necessarily be a problem, but Rasputin made Caligula look like a, um, you know, conserved and, you know, morally upstanding member of society. And this is the same man that fucked his own sister and made his horse a senator. So, oh, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're talking about quite a character here. He used to um, have sexual relations with the um, various women of the court. He used to be very inappropriate with all sorts of um, high noble members as well. And a lot of the nobility around the um, Tsar saw that he was an upjunt peasant, um, you know, monk, who didn't really know his place in, you know, Russian society. So, let's say he stepped on a couple of toes. He did actually get um, kicked, thrown out of the court a few times, but whenever um, Alexei got ill, he always inevitably got brought back again to um, heal the boy. So he was kind of like the um, horrible tick that the um, Tsar and Tsarina couldn't ever really get rid of. But anyway, eventually in 1916, a group of um, noblemen during the um, Second World War decided to get rid of Rasputin since it was seen that he was um, dictating policy too much to the Tsarina who was left in charge of ruling Russia by her husband. And they saw that he was interfering too much in matters of the state and that he had too much influence. So they invited him to dinner. 
which sounds pretty nice at the face of it. I mean, I'd like dinner. I'd really love dinner. So they invite him to this dinner, and they put poison in his meal for him. I'd like dinner less now. It did nothing. They all got really incredibly scared when they figured out that nothing was happening to him. <laughs> and they sat there and they had several debates about what exactly do we do? This isn't really meant to happen. You know, so, so what exactly are we going to do about this? So they eventually they elected to um, gang up on him and stab him. Okay. And nothing happened, really. He got stabbed and he started fighting them back, but he wasn't really going down. They then shot him several times as well, just to be certain. And at this point, um, most people think he did pass out. So he sort of passes out. They get his body together, they put it in a sack, and then they throw it into the river. And this is where it gets interesting, since he'd been manacled inside of the um, sack just to ensure that he was dead. When his body washed up um, several days later, they found that he was out of his manacles and he was beginning to claw his way out of the bag. Which meant he wasn't dead when they threw him into the river, despite being poisoned, you know, beaten, shot, stabbed, and just generally bludgeoned in the midst of all of this as well. This man refused to die. And they found water in his lungs, which most people have proved that he aspirated on the water and died of that. And the myth of Rasputin goes even further. Since the peasants who found him in the river then decided to burn the body once they worked out who it was because most of Russia hated the man. And this is where it gets quite funny because um, most people don't actually know this, but when you burn a body, you're meant to um, cut the tendons and the arms and legs. Since when you apply heat to um, tendons and muscles, um, they contract. Oh, yeah. Yep. So you can probably guess where this is going. Um, whilst they were burning him, he, um, his muscles and tendons contracted and he quite literally sat up in the fire. Oh, God. I'm... <laughs> Which, if you think about it, would really fuck with you. You know, this man's like this mystic monk. He's, you know, this guy and he's just sat up in the fire. That would be horrifying. I'd be horrified normally, even if you knew what was happening, let alone, you know... Just imagine if you're some uneducated peasant in the back in, you know, like Russia, who's, you know, has no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. This man's meant to be magical and mystic, but he's just sat up while you're burning him. Oh, yeah. Like, you have to remember back... Like, back then, you didn't get in there or anything. You would not know shit. You would not know bollocks. <laughs> so this man just sits up in the fire, and he just sends peasants running for their lives, because they think that, um, he's, like, rising to get them. Man, I'll be... Literally horrifying. This man refused to die, like quite literally. Just, he just didn't give in. Definitely impressive. Man was very impressive. Oh man, any, do you have any more than or? Um... I think after my experience of the um, you know horrible caving, I think I kind of need to go light out and not think about tight and close spaces. <laughs> I honestly want to go sit in a park and just you know watch the horizons. I mean, I think seeing the sky would be a good thing at this point. I would love to go see the sky again and not feel the. Not live with the thoughts of being, um, you know, trapped in that horrible little cave, so. Oh, man. But yes, and so I guess we'll wrap it up here. That sounds good to me, just so I can go and, you know, recover some of my sanity now, please. <laughs> okay. Okay, then. Let's uh, wrap it up there. Um, do, first of all, would you like to plug anything or um, say what's going on in your life or whatever? Um, I might be a policeman. Perfect. Okay. So... On that, um, my name's actually Taylor, and I've been your host of this episode of Blood on the Rocks. Intermission music is by Nox Arcana. The opening and ending music is by me pretending I know what I'm doing using Rhythmic Ultimate. And um, I've listened to a few podcasts recently, so I'll give yeah, I'll give, so I'll give a quick shout out to uh, Color Me Dead podcast and Hillbilly Horror. 
And I also just started listening to Minds of Madness, which is another true crime podcast. Um, and on that, I think we can wrap up. Um, cut to music. Sounds good. See you all later. Yeah. See you next week. <laughs>